Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray, and let's jump into this time. Father, we just thank you right now for the opportunity we have to seek you and to know you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that um, we would be able to just take this moment to uh, know that your voice has spoken into our lives. Lord, in this unique time, this unique period we've been in as a country and as a world, uh, many of us are in a moment where we might have been uh, resigning from jobs and rethinking our lives. And so, Lord, we do want to make an impact on this world. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that even now you would help clarify where you want us to be intentional with the impact you have already shaped, already paved a way for us to have an impact on this world. We pray that we could make that impact. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 10.10, really the essence of this series comes from that passage. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, when Jesus says that, that is an incredible statement of purpose, clarity, what God has him on earth for. Whenever you hear someone speaking, it is so important that they know, why does God have me here? Why do I exist? What should I be doing? And Jesus had clarity about his purpose. What he said was, this is why I'm here. I came that day. Those have purpose-like language. I came. That's why I'm showing up. So I could bless someone else. That they, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus knew that his impact would not just be from doing miracles, but it would be from having other people. That's why Jesus said, greater works you will do. This is why he trained the disciples, so that those works would be done. And now that we are under Jesus's ministry, as he is discipling us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we now are given a ministry a ministry that he has laid out before the foundation of the world. And just as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Do what God has called you to do. There's one thing. There's some of you, I may not know your name. I may not know your background. And I may not know your gifting. But I do know this that if you know Jesus, he has something for you to do. He has called you to have an impact on this world. There are gifts, skills, experiences that only you have. You have words, ideas, insights that only you have. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have clarity. There are things that only you can do. And so I say to you, fulfill your ministry. There's You have a ministry. You have great things God has called you to do. There's meetings only you know what to say. There's situations only you know what to do. You fulfill your ministry. And that means God's called you to have
have an impact on this world. I don't care if you're an introvert. I don't care if you're quiet. I don't care if you like a city. I don't care if you don't like the city. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you like to stand up. I don't care if you like to sit down. I don't care if you're into sports or not into sports. I don't care if you're into church or not into church. I know if the spirit is in you, he wants you to be in the world and having an impact on people's lives. He's made you to use you. He's made you to change people's lives, fulfill your ministry. Wouldn't it be sad if you had an unfinished life? Wouldn't it be sad if God set you up, had everything prepared for you, and you walked past the very thing he had for you to do? There are people, places to go that are set up for you to do something powerful. Amen? And so if you want to fulfill your ministry, we have to come back to this abundant mindset. There's four things that we've covered. This will be the fourth. The first was godliness. You, you got to get in your word. I'm sorry. This, I'm sorry. I don't, you, you, need a, you, need, you might need a master's degree. You might need a certificate. You might need to move to another city. You might need a whole bunch of things, but you will never feel, fulfill your ministry if you're not in your word. If you do not, if you, if you're waiting on me to be the only word you have for a week, you will never fill your ministry. If you are just YouTubing it, Bible apping it, but you're, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about having the word in front of you. I'm talking about having the word in you. I'm saying you're spending time with him, that you're being intimate with him, that you have a devotional life, meaning a lifestyle of devotion. It starts with godliness. It starts with having your mind and your heart fixated on the things of God. And as you move to not only having a godly life, but having a life of gratitude, because people that are grateful know what they have. People that are ungrateful are always wanting more. You see, you can't live an abundant life if you're always looking at what other people have, never being satisfied in what God has already given you. Once you have a godly life, then you have gratitude in your life. Then you have gladness. And what we talked about gladness last week was that that's joy and pain, sunshine and rain, amen? That you're able to accept that life has ugly parts and beautiful parts. And you're able to navigate through all of that through your life. So you're emotionally healthy. You're able to keep yourself in check. You don't put too much expectations on broken people, knowing only Jesus is the one that can fulfill your heart. So if you're living a godly life and you have gratitude, your heart is glad, well, then you can be a generous person. Generosity can mark your life. Generosity is about sharing what you have. Sharing, right? You have things that God has given you and you share them. Now, when I say sharing, I'm not just saying giving. I'm saying you're giving from what you have. That's why we say share. That's what we tell kids, share what you have. It's something you already have. When I preach the word, I don't have a word for you. I share the word with you. I'm giving you something I'm enjoying myself. You see, when you preach, 
it's really a matter of digging in the word and having the word change your life and sharing with people what you have been given. I'm in a bad place if I walk in here and I need something from you. I need you to affirm me. I need you to bless me. I need you to give to me. I'm in a bad place, but when I'm filled up and I'm ready to give to you, and I'm ready, see, I'm sharing with you what I've already been given. I'm sharing with you the way that God has given me. That's why we share peace. We share love. We share the gifts that we have. That's what being generous is. It's sharing what God has given us. In order to be that kind of person, we have to see the ministry that Jesus had. The Bible says that Jesus, who he was, it says that in 1 Corinthians 15, this is what Jesus was. It says that it's written that the first Adam became a life, uh, I'm sorry, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Life-giving spirit. Jesus was a person that just didn't give his life on the cross. He was always sharing his life, giving his life. He was a life-giving spirit. The Bible says that Jesus said that I, he, he lays his life down. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it away. He gave his life away. And that's the spirit that's within us. Jesus, the Bible is filled with Jesus doing all these miracles in good words. You think about Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is there. He goes to the other side of the shore. As he goes to the other side of the shore, the Bible says he runs into a guy who's filled with demons, goes to him, and if you read what it says, it says that he, you know, he, 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 he blesses this man, and then the demons leave him. And so you're like, man, Jesus, that's wonderful. Jesus leaves out of there. He's walking. And then all of a sudden, a man walks up to him and says, heal my daughter. The man's name was Jairus. He says, heal my daughter. And so all of a sudden, Jesus is like, okay, I'll go heal your daughter. But on his way to heal his daughter in Mark chapter 5, a woman comes up to him because he's crowded around with people. A woman comes up to him and just touches the hem of his garment. As she touches the hem of his garment, Jesus turns around and says, oh, man, power just went out of me. He finds the woman and says, Faith has made you well. The woman and him have an interaction. Who knows how long it took? It's a crazy scene. And all of a sudden, the folks that were with Jairus said, hey, the girl you were about to heal is now dead. So then Jesus goes back over there and then heals the little girl. In one scene, Jesus goes from healing a man filled with demons having a woman be healed who had been hurt for many years, and then raising a young woman from the dead. And do you know all of those moments seem like interruptions, but they were actually opportunities? Do you know the stories we have of Jesus are Jesus just sharing what God had given him? That this man says, man, I'm glad Jesus was here. That that woman said, oh, I'm glad I got to catch the tail end of Jesus. That that little girl says, man, if Jesus wasn't here, my life would have never been the same. And those aren't just about the fact that Jesus had, of course, the miraculous gift of, of, of healing. But this is because Jesus was a life-giving spirit. And let me say this of you, saints. You are either a life-giver or a life-taker. 
You're either a plus or a minus. You're a person that lifts or you're a person that leans. And I pray that you know that because the Spirit of God is in you, you are intended to be a life-giving spirit. Amen? People who are life-givers, life-givers, they add value to the room. They bless people in the room. They give. They serve. They care. They listen. They forgive. They're kind. They're patient. They're peaceful because they're giving of life. They're a life-giving spirit. You ever have a party and there's somebody that brings chips, somebody that brings some drinks, somebody that brings popcorn, somebody that brings some chicken, somebody that brings something, but then there's people who leave with plates, but they didn't bring anything. They take, but they don't give. You see, and we can be those kind of people in community where we constantly take, we consume, but we don't contribute. And you want to be a life giver. Listen, not to try to in any way compel you to be a life giver, but I believe if you're not a life giver, you'll never fulfill your ministry. You'll never fully be what God has called you to be. And so I believe that God has called you to have an impact, an impact in this world to give your life. Now, the other thing about people who give their lives, you know what they are? Listen, a person that's a life-giving person is considerate of other people. You think, well, what is, what, how, did, how did that affect other people? I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're feeling. But life-takers only consider themselves. They're always thinking about themselves. When I was uh, playing uh, high school football, I can remember um, I was a sophomore and I played on the varsity team. And so uh, I played a lot my sophomore year and it was the last game of my sophomore year. And my coach was putting in all the bad players. And I was really frustrated because I was a good player. And I was like, why is this guy playing? It's horrible. And so I started mumbling under my breath. Oh, look, they, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. They're not playing me. And all of a sudden, you know, I was, I was, I was sitting there. I was about 14 years old. And I remember I kind of arched up my voice just enough for the coach to hear, but to pretend like I wasn't saying nothing. I'm like, I'm just putting all these scrubs in. All of a sudden, the coach turns around and he yells at me. And he says, James, what are you saying over there? I'm like, oh, nothing. He says, you, do you know what today is? I'm like, it's the last game of the year. He's like, the seniors are never going to play again. You're going to play in college. You're a sophomore. You're going to play next year and the year after that. These, you're thinking about your parents and said, their parents are in the stands too. Have you ever thought that you having less time today is because these guys have never played? And I sat there and I was shocked. And you know what? I never thought about the man next to me. I only thought about my gifts, my skills. I wanted to be seen. I wanted my name in light and I wanted my name announced. And those kind of people, 
can never be fully used because they're so passionate about platforms that they can never have a, the main impact because our impact won't always be seen. We'll talk about that in a second. But that's where I was. I was caught up in my own story. If you want to be a life-giving person, you consider other people. Paul, the apostle, one of the things he does is he supports the ministry of Timothy. Timothy, a pastor over a community there in Ephesus. And he's trying to get these people to be generous, to be life-giving. And one of the things you have to understand about the ministry there in Ephesus is that they've theologically began to drift. And as they've theologically begun to drift, financially they began to drift. And there were people who had great wealth in the community that were no longer being generous with the community. So what Paul tells Timothy is this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty. Meaning, just because you have money, don't think high of yourself. Okay? He says, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, meaning just because you have money doesn't mean your life will work out well. And we know very well that there are people who have all types of money and their lives are very challenged. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, listen, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and this is what I want you to hear, and ready to share. Would you say that with me? Ready to share. One more time. Ready to share. He's not just saying, be philanthropic, be ready to share. Think about Jesus. Jesus walking along the road. All of a sudden, hey, help me with this. Oh, Jesus over here. Ready to share. He says, be rich in good works. Rich in good works. That's the life that God has called you to live as a generous person. Now, that phrase, ready to share, is actually one word. And that word is the word koinonia. And that word in the Greek, it means fellowshipping. And so this is what I think is so important. When it says ready to share, it is telling us that actually being generous is when you are a person that connects your life to other people. He's not just talking about stroking a check. He's not just talking about saying nice words. He's saying you're giving your life to other people. Fellowshipping is when you are serving, connecting, blessing, caring, thinking about other needs. You know the other needs that are here in the community, in your family, on your job, and you fellowship by sharing that which you have, ready to share. That means if you're really going to share, you've got to have a nearness to people. You've got to have a connection to people. You've got to have a love for people, to be rich in good works. What he's really trying to get at here as well is that although many people in that community were financially wealthy, they were poor in good works. He is trying to get them to rethink about what blessing means, that it's not just material, but it's something to offer people. It's something that's already given. And for you, I pray that you fulfill your ministry, that you'd be rich in good works, that there'd be so many things that God does through you. There's so, listen, 
There are so many things that God wants to do through you. Mm, mm, mm. So many things. There's so many people God wants to bless through you. Mm, so many. There's so many opportunity God has lined up for you. I'm not, talking, I'm not saying you're an extrovert. I'm saying you're in Christ. I'm saying you're connected to the spirit of the living God. The spirit of the living God is on the move in New York City. He's on the move in Brooklyn. He's on the move at your job. And are you, you I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm saying ride that wave of the spirit and seeing whatever the spirit is doing. I want to be a part of that. I'm not in New York City because I love the trains. Amen. I'm not here because I love the rent. Amen. I'm not here because, I, and I love y'all, but I'm called to y'all. I'm called to New Yorkers more than New York. And that's why a lot of church planners leave so early. They were called to the platform of a big city, but they didn't love people. You see, that's what we're called to. And God has called you to people and to care deeply in whatever your vocation is. And so I want you to be rich in good works. I want you to fulfill your ministry. Amen? And so in light of that, I want to just be very practical. I want to be very practical. I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to serve people. I want you to love people. I want you to care for people. And I want you to have the kind of ministry that makes an impact on this world. And so in order to do that, I want to just talk about three practical things. The first, if you're going to be a life-giving person, a person ready to share, rich in good works, the first principle is what I have, I give. What I have, I give. Peter, he was by this place called the Beautiful Gate in Acts 3 and 6. And it says, Peter said, I have, well, so there's a man who's lame from birth and he's become a beggar of money. And so the man is by this gate. And as he's by this gate, he's asking for money. Peter's walking by and so he hits Peter up, says, hey, can I get some money? Peter said, Acts 3 and 6, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now think about this. This man is asking for money. And instead of Peter just going in his pockets, he says to him, I don't got that. Now, I believe Peter. I believe Peter didn't have no money to give him. But he says, but what I do have, I give to you. Notice one of the first principles about being a generous person is having boundaries in your life, about being wise about what you give and where you give, and being honest about what you can give. What I have, I give. But what I have, I can't give. What a powerful principle. If I don't have it, I can't give it to you. Praise God. And so one of the things that I think is very important is you have got to establish in your life a yes or no ministry, okay? Now, Jesus said, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be what? Now, what that essentially means is he's trying to get at, don't let your yes become a no and don't let your no become a yes, but have integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, 
When you say yes to something, let it actually be a yes. But if you say no to something, celebrate that no, because your no is helping you, helping you bless your yes. You're, you, you're storing up more time, energy, uh, uh, emotional clarity so that you can bless your yes. Live in your no. No, just say, one day just be like, no, mm, that felt good. No, don't do it. Have some boundaries in your life. Of course, you're not unlimited. You're limited as a person. You need some no's. Some of y'all need a whole lot of no in your life. Just here, here's some no. Just take some no and just shove it in your heart and just let it come out. Uh, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Come on now, just say no. Say no. You're just saying yes to so many things. Some of you are saying so, yes to so many things, you're saying no to God. You, you have to learn how to say no. Look at what Peter said. I ain't got it to give to you. But then what does he say? But what I do have, I will give. Let, let me, before I go to that, let me just say, I have no problem with no people. I have a problem with yes people. You know the people that it, it wears me out? Can I be honest with you? Maybe people. Father. Because the maybe people be hanging out with the I'll try people. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Ooh. I'll see. I'll see. That's their cousin. I'll see. Mm. Ooh, boy. Nobody can depend on you. We just, I'll, I'm a try. I'm a, I'm glad. Thank you for your effort. But I can't build anything on I'll see or I'll try. Because the I'll see, I'll try, I'll see what I can do people want the blessing of yes. They want the affirmation like they said yes, but they want to build a boundary of no. Listen, build a boundary and just let me be disappointed in you just for a second. Let me be mad for a second, okay? One thing I've gotten better at as a pastor is letting people be disappointed. I really have. I kind of thrive in it. And here's why. Here's, here's why. Fridays are my day off, okay? Fridays are my day off. And I, sometimes when I say this from pulpit, I think that works, and people are just like, I know this is your day off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But people hit you up anyway, and it's okay. It's okay. But listen, the reason why I'm okay with disappointing people is because I've appointed other people. On Friday, that's my day for my kids. You know, I'm sitting there with my daughter, Sophia. We're watching Bluey or whatever show we're watching. I don't know. And we're making some airplanes and all this stuff. And, I'll, and people want my time or my energy or my thought on something. And here's the thing. I'm not disappointing you. First and foremost, I'm appointing her. This is my appointment. My time with her matters. And so I'm okay. Whatever you're going through right now, I can't focus on that because I've carved out focus here. But, but you'll, you'll never truly fulfill your ministry if you're a maybe person. Because that tells me you don't have clarity about your time, talent, and treasure. Gain clarity about what God has called you to do and just tell people no. But you know what the best thing is? What Peter said was, but what I have, I give. I, you can kind of tell when someone, like I was saying this this morning, this morning at the other service. Wow. Um, I was saying that this morning, you know, when my wife says no, it's not she's not saying no so she can play video games at the crib. You know what I'm saying? She's not saying, she, she's saying no because she's doing something else. And you know what? Most of you believe her. Most of you are like, you know what? I believe, uh, no, thank you. You know, I know you would. You know, you know she would if she could. 
And there's some people who say no that you don't think they've actually considered yeses, right? And so don't be a person that you're just no because of fear or because of whatever reason that you, you kind of like quarantine yourself from yeses and you always live in no's. Some of you need to start saying yes. Some of you need to start launching out and being more involved in other people's lives so that you can fulfill your ministry. You want to be a person who lives on the other side of yes, the blessing of it, the care of it, the connection to it. Be a yes person or a no person, but let your no only be for the sake of blessing your yes. Amen? Amen. Now, now, the second principle, you know, you want to, you want to have, you want it to be that you, you essentially give what you have. If you have it, you can't give it. But the second principle is you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. Some versions say, but God gave the increase. What Paul is talking about there, in essence, is that he started a church, and in starting this church, he planted the seed of the gospel. What he's actually saying is, I talked to people about Jesus, I connected with them, I encouraged them, but then God called him away to another ministry, to another location. And as he was called away, Apollos came in. And as Apollos came in, he's using the imagery of seed sowing and watering to say, as I had that conversation with that person, another person came and followed up on that conversation to encourage, equip, bless, support, and unleash them into ministry. He says, I planted Apollos watered. He says, but God gives growth. And he's actually talking about ministry. And so when we talk about seed sowing, we have to realize that because we are part of the kingdom of God, he gives us these kingdom-like seeds. These kingdom seeds are ones of they're the gospel, inviting someone into a relationship with God. It's peace, it's patience, it's finances. It's all that God has for us, and we sow them into opportunities. We sow them into initiatives. We sow them into people, places, and things. We sow them so that we can be a blessing to people. And as you sow these gospel seeds and conversation and finances and all these different places, what you have to realize is because seed sowing is seed sowing, look at what Paul is saying. If you're really going to be a seed sower, if you're going to fulfill your ministry, if you're going to be a life giver, you've got to be okay with not having immediate impact. Seed sowing is about having invisible impact. You put it in the ground and then, come on ground, come on sun, come on water. Other things have to happen in order for that to work. If you need to see immediate blessing from what you do, you will never fulfill your ministry. You will never be the person that God wants you to be because life does not move fast like that. If you're really going to care for people, if you're going to love people, if you're going to bless people, you cannot wait for thank yous and you're amazing and I appreciate yous and you can't wait for all those things. You got to do it because it's right. You got to do it because God is good. You do it because you share what God has given you. You forgive, not because they're 
are nice people, you forgive because you've been forgiven. You, you give peace, not because it's a, a situation that's not chaotic. No, you have the peace of God. And you, when you walk in the room, you carry that peace with you. You carry kindness with you. You carry love and joy with you. And the resources that you have, the finances that you have, that came from the Lord. And so you give it like it came from someone else. You've got to be okay with invisible seeds. You've got to be okay with invisible kingdom impacts. Won't be immediate. Won't always see it. Won't be quick. And so the Bible says in Matthew 6, in speaking about fasting and giving, he has a phrase he said about the Lord, a name that I believe is so encouraging. He calls him the Father who sees in secret. The Father who sees in secret secret. He sees that secret word you gave. He sees that secret prayer you prayed. He knows you could have cut up. <laughs> he, know, he, know, he knows your flesh. Yeah. He knows who you could be. Amen. But, but instead, you blessed. Instead, you were kind. Instead, you sowed words that of, of blessing. Instead, you showed restraint. And there's things you didn't say and no one knows. There's things you could have done, but no one knows. It's secret, but it's not a secret to the Father. And so you've got to be okay with having invisible impact. But the third principle then is our support. The third principle is we reap in a different season then we sow. Oh, you will reap what you sow, but it will be in a different season. And you got to be okay with that. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, thus storing up treasure. He says, do good works, be rich, generous, and you will store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. He's talking about rewards in heaven. God rewarding you for the things he saw in you and saw through you. Because a lot of, th a lot of things, God is going to reward by your inner man, your inner disposition. Not just what you did on the outside, but who you were on the inside. And so with that in mind, this restructures the way we think about being rich, restructures the way we think about treasures because you could be earthly rich but heavenly poor and then you could be earthly poor but heavenly rich, rich in good works. And so there is earth season but then there's heaven season and in heaven season, we depend on all that God is going to show us. The good thing about reaping what you sow is in heaven season, I'll reap. But every now and then on earth, I get to see reward. Every now and then I get to see God show me what my prayers went to what my time went to. I get to see the impact of my time, talent, and treasure every now and then. 
back when I uh, pastored a different church in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, when I went there, there was a, a guy that came there and him and his wife were newly married and he wanted to be my assistant pastor. And so we came and we supported him and he was a really good guy, but um, it was a time of the election and he was a he was, uh, I, I didn't, at the time, we, it, it, amazingly enough, this was a season where you really didn't talk about politics as much. It just wasn't something that you, I did, so I didn't even know what his politics were, but uh, he was he was staunchly against Obama, and, and you know, my church was black, and they was happy that Obama had gotten elected, and, and he, he was just upset that, you know, why are so many people crying about Obama? And I'm like, well, because he's black, and black people have had a tough time in America, amen, and... <laughs> It's in it's in books and so anyway um, so it was it was just a weird so our relationship began to sour but what what happened was because he was struggling financially um, we had gotten um, we would get a check and then we would get another check and this other check was called our benefits check now our benefits check I, what I didn't know was when you become a pastor you are essentially self employed right and so I didn't know that. Because I had been interviewed, and they were definitely writing me a check every month. So I didn't know I was self-employed. So I, no one told me that. So the benefits check was supposed to go to my taxes, and I didn't know that. So I was actually giving this guy my benefits check. I was giving, so it was about five or $600 every month that I would, we would take it, and we would just write a check to this cat, him and his wife. And we did that for like two, three years. You know, just giving it to him, giving it to him, giving it to him. So then finally, we sit down with the tax man. And the tax man was like, yeah, you owe the government like $25,000. Now, you have to understand, I played, you know, football. I was on scholarship. I've, so I've never really been in debt my entire life. So when that happened, I was blown away that I owed anybody anything, much less the government. So I just was not ready. And I, I, you know, I, I really was stunned, Right. So I sat there, and we, we were just shocked. So what made matters worse was we gave money to a person that doesn't even like us anymore, right? Like, so now we're not even cool. So I don't even have the benefit of thinking we're cool, right? So we're not, we're not cool. My money's not cool. Nothing's cool, right? And uh, so I'm sitting there, and I'm struggling. So we end up leaving that church. We, we moved to Atlanta. And we met with tax man after tax man after tax man. And each person was like, yeah, you, you, let me, after, 25,000? Yeah, about 25,000. You owe, that's, that number's right. I was like, dang, I'm, I was just waiting for something. Because, because we were naive, we just felt like, man, maybe there's something we don't know. Well, finally, um, this is about five years later. We're, we're just, we can never go on vacation. We can never really get gifts for one another because everything we get, and anytime I would speak someplace, it'd have to go towards our taxes just so we could catch up. So we, we were, it's just a, such a struggle. And one day uh, we sat down with this new tax guy and uh, we found him on a whim. And he sits us down and he says, um, all right, it's looking like, looking like about 40. About forty thousand. I was like, now would that's that isn't that a trip? I mean, just you know, I mean, this new brother come up with it's worse. Lord have mercy. Can we act like we didn't meet? Shoot. And so he's like, it's looking like about forty. 
about 40,000. I was like, wow. So he's like, well, how would you want that? I was like, how would I want it? I don't want it. I don't want, I don't. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 I'm sorry, sir. The government owes you $40,000. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, yeah, well, you know, you have, you've had children now. And there was a lot of things that old tax guy, he, there was a lot of laws he didn't understand. And so I was like, is this legal? Like, so this is, that's the first thing that went in my mind. Right. And so no, he was like, no, no. So he was like, so we, so no, 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 no. Um, it's looking at about $42,000. And how do you want the checks? And I was like, immediately. I want them <laughs> right now, right now. However, Venmo, whatever you got. Um, and I got to see the fruit of my labor multiplied. And so here we are, and we're sitting there at the kitchen table in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're just like, wow. And we, for years, there was so much we couldn't do, and God saw all that. He saw everything that we had done. And so our generosity was having an impact, even though it was invisible on earth. It was visible in heaven. When I was um, a senior in college, a senior in high school, actually, I played in the state championship game. And in playing in the state championship game, the whole year I had been um, one of the best players on the team. And I was a captain of the team, actually. And so I was always winning awards, you know, for everything we had done. And so we come to the last game of the year, the state championship game, and they were giving out um, offensive back and, uh, or no, I'm sorry, uh, most valuable back and most valuable lineman. Most valuable back and most valuable lineman. And so we win the game, right, 23 to 13, and so excited, had a really good game. And so they announced the most valuable back, and the guy, and what happens is you're, you're at the 50-yard line, and then you run, you run to basically the end zone to get your awards. So they make it this big pomp and circumstance, right? So they, the guy runs out, and he's most valuable back. And they go, now for most valuable lineman, and I promise you, I started jogging out there because I just knew they were going to announce my name. So I start to make this jog, and they, said, and they said somebody else. So I pivoted, and I was like, oh, that's you, dog. Get him, you know. And, he, and I was so embarrassed. I just, I just played it off because I just knew, like, y'all saw that, right? Like, y'all saw what I did, and they didn't. And they didn't notice how, how I played, and I thought I played really well. And someone else got the award that I thought I should get. You know, I was the captain of the team. So, I, I mean, I performed, I played it off. I was like, I'm going up to him like, you played great. Not as good as me, but you played great, dog. About two weeks later, my coach invited me over for dinner. It was cool. You know, we, my football career there, I played since I was a sophomore. And uh, so he had really mentored me. And, uh, and so as I'm sitting there with him, we're eating dinner. He goes, hey. Let's go watch the game. I was like, oh, yeah. So we get a VHS out. This is 1994. So we get a VHS out, and um, we watch the game. And we're sitting there, you know, watching the game. And as, as we're watching it, I might make a tackle. There might be something I do that, you know, get somebody else to tackle. And my coach would go, pause it. That was really good. And I'd be like, thanks, coach. Oh, pause. That was really good. I was like, 
Thanks, coach. Play. Pause. That was really good. Thanks, coach. The reason why invisible impact is so great is because one affirming word from Jesus will be better than a thousand words from men. There's nothing like sitting with your heavenly father and just being there and him saying, I saw you. See that? Oh, I saw what you said to her. That was good. You say, thanks, Jesus. Oh, that time when you didn't have anything left. Remember, I was your strength. I remember I was your strength that day. Yeah. You gave it all. They didn't know you were on your last leg. They didn't know what was going on in your family. They didn't know what you were struggling with. And look at you. You still fulfilled your ministry. I saw that. Well done. And when you have invisible impact, focused on kingdom impact, heavenly affirmation, it changes the way that you're generous to people. I want you to see what I'm doing, but someone sees what I'm doing. I want you to notice my good works, but someone sees my good works. And there is nothing like hearing the Lord say, well done. Amen. If you can restructure your life to think about the invisible impact, to become a life giver, to hear from Jesus, you can be free. You can be free. You can be free to fulfill your ministry because my ministry is not set on the ideas of men. It is set on the love of God that was given to me. Jesus changed my life and I just want to help people. Isn't that true of you? Don't you just want to help people? I just want to help somebody. I just want somebody to know that Jesus is real. And I can take criticism and I can take rejection and I can take pain because I know my purpose. I know why I'm here. I know my Redeemer lives. And it's because of that that when I die, I want to bless as many people as I can. I want to give value to as many people as I can. I want to support, bless, and encourage as many people as I can. And I tell the Lord, use me up. Use me up. I don't want anything left. When my heart stops beating and my breath runs out, I want to have a finished life. Don't you want to have a finished life? Don't you want to do everything God wanted you to do? Don't you want to do everything God wanted you to do? I want to do everything God wants me to do. And so I know of you that right now, you have an opinion about things that are around you. Right now, you're, you think about your family and you say, you know, my family needs this. Maybe that opinion is not just an opinion, but maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe there's something that God wants you to restructure in your family, a yoke that's been over your family. Maybe there's a, a, a generationally just brokenness and trauma in your family. And maybe he wants you to break that curse. Maybe he wants you to be a chain breaker. Maybe in your job, 
maybe people are sitting around and they've got an opinion about everything, but maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to bless, serve, encourage, support. For those of you, you see things in the city, you see needs, maybe in schools and education, but maybe God has not just called you to have an opinion, but maybe that's an opportunity for you. But lastly, in your church, we're so imperfect, so broken, so much I know we could be. And, you know, it's funny because whenever somebody has an opinion on the church, I'm like, this is my job. Like, I'm here all the time. I got an opinion, too. And we, he's like, we're struggling with this. I'm like, you don't even know the half. We're worse than you think. (laughs) There's so many needs in this body. And we're so gifted. And when our gifting matches need, transformation happens. Power flows from this place. When you're just willing to just be used. I, 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 I want you to use your gifts, but, but gifts don't define you. Your heart for God does. When you just want to sacrificially bless people and be used up, be used up. And so my prayer for you in 2022 is that you live an abundant life, one of godliness, one of gratitude, one of gladness, and it would flow out through generosity and you would fulfill your ministry. Father, we love you. And I thank you, Jesus, for changing my life. And I just want to help somebody. And I believe that's what's true of this room, that we just want to help somebody. We want to help somebody know Jesus. We want to help somebody be supported and encouraged. And so, Lord, help me help somebody. Help our congregation be people who help others know the Lord, see Jesus, be blessed and have lives transformed. Let us be life-giving people. In Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.